All right, everybody. Welcome back to Best Hour of Their Day. I am going to go solo today. So this is something I've been wanting to do for a while, but it's a little bit uh, detailed, and I kind of had to do some pre-work for some of it because I had to get my thoughts together. Otherwise, this would be just a big, hot mess. Um, but before I get into this one, um, first and foremost, uh, I'm going to speak kind of on behalf of Jay and I both and Todd uh, and just tell all of you, uh, a big thank you for everything that you guys have done for us. And that might sound a little weird, um, but a lot of what we do is because of you guys. So the number of DMs that we get, you know, telling us thank you or, or giving us topic ideas um, is a lot of what fuels the podcast and fuels our ideas for the future. So uh, everything that we do is largely in line with like making sure that we aid the affiliate owners, the coaches, um, to be better because that's that's who we see as underserved population so i know we talk about the underserved population being in, in the world of athletes but the way we see it is that the affiliate owners and coaches are the underserved population and i don't think that's anybody's fault it's just there's so much to be covered in that world um and it requires so much experience and so much expertise that i just don't know that uh, there's a ton of people in the space that that could check that box so uh, you know, I don't know how well of a job we're doing at it, but we're trying and we're trying to get better at it. But thank you guys. Um, so on that note, um, the topic for this podcast is going to be 10 top 10 mistakes as an affiliate owner. So top 10 mistakes in 10 years. Um, now, before we dive in and I kind of go through this list, number one, the list is not in any particular order with the exception of the last one. Um and it's not all-encompassing either. So this is probably, not probably, this is absolutely a fraction of the mistakes that I personally have made as a business owner. Now, some of these will be probably near and dear to your heart if you're listening to this. Some of them won't. Uh, and some of them have multiple evolutions of the same, of the same mistake as you uh, grow as a coach, as you grow as a gym owner, uh, as you grow as a head coach. And there's, there's multiple layers and multiple facets to some of these mistakes. Um, some of them are easy fixes. Some of them require a lot of work. Um, but they're all equally important because, as we know, if we look at you know, if we think about the 10 general physical skills with regard to uh, with regard to CrossFit that we give in the what is CrossFit, and I'll test myself here. So it goes cardiorespiratory endurance, strength, stamina, flexibility, speed, power, coordination, accuracy, agility, and balance. Yep, still got it. Um, you could think of these mistakes as the same, right? Like, or, or, or these, I don't want to say mistakes, but these facets um, that, w that these mistakes would be attached to would be similar, right? I mean, like you don't, you don't want to err too much on the side of any one of these. Like you just want to be balanced across all of them. Now, before you listen to this one, I do think you should go back and listen to the previous podcast that I did on, you know, how fit is your gym? Uh, I think it's super important and it's very relevant to this. So there's going to be some overlap, but this one's a little bit more particular in that one. Just a quick recap, talked about evaluating your gym um, for its fitness level. So we all know that, you know, if I'm, if I'm an athlete, I, I want to be fit and, you know, I, in order to be fit, I need to have good balance across gymnastics, weightlifting and monostructural metabolic conditioning. And then we take that and we look at operations, marketing, and, uh, your service or your coaching is what those three modalities would be in the business. And all of those have multiple layers in them, just like, you know, weightlifting, monostructural gymnastics. So 
it's just an easy correlation as I think these mistakes will be. And you can see like they all have a significant impact on the business. So not being well versed in these 10 things that I'm going to talk about will lead to some sort of degradation in your personal development and loss of staff and lots of money and lots, lots of sleep and just loss of a lot of shit. So, um, you know, probably going to want to take notes on this one, uh, because this is, uh, some stuff that I'm pretty sure every gym owner, specifically gym owner, and then coaches, you guys will have some, um, uh, some, some overlap here as well. But every gym owner has made some variation of these mistakes, uh, and it's super important to get it right because if you don't, you'll pay for it. And the degree with which you'll pay for it kind of de- kind of depends on what stage of your the evolution of your business in. Uh, what I would tell you is, for the most part, there's some that can set you back for a long time if you don't get them right in the beginning, and then some you don't really have to worry about until you grow a little bit, and uh, then the mistakes can be compounding from there. But so again. No particular order. What I'll do is I'll go through these and I'll elaborate on each of them. Uh, and I'll give you some of my experiences and stories as I go through. But um, again, no particular order, no particular importance with the exception of the last one. And I think when I get there, you'll understand why. So number one, biggest mistake as a gym owner, failing to get a lawyer. So if you haven't listened to the podcast with uh, Jeff Westmoreland, go back and listen to it. We talk about a whole litany of things that you would need a lawyer for and his big thing is like you can pay me a little bit now or you can pay me a lot later when you get into litigation so the number of things that you would need a lawyer for there's some big ones right so we'll just cover the low-hanging fruit which is the inception of your business right so is it going to be an LLC is it going to be an S Corp Um, how are you going to design that business with the end in mind and that's super important because that's going to have tax implications. We'll get to a little bit later. Uh, it's also going to determine how you plan on growing it, what you should do as all of that unfolds, uh, and a lot of different things. <clears throat> the other thing that you're going to need a lawyer for and you should have a lawyer for is when you are going to go sign a lease or buy a building or purchase something or, or um, you know, get into a partnership. So probably the three big, big ones is, you know, putting your business or creating an entity signing a lease and then potentially having a partnership. Um, So we talked a little bit about just like why you should think about, um, you know, creating your entity because again, there's tax implications, revenue, how you can do all that, where you can move things around. And that's kind of a moving target depending on honestly what administration is in, is in the white house and all that stuff and how tax laws are written. But a lawyer can help you sort that stuff out. Um, And then with a lease, they can help you, negotiate things that are a little or they're a little bit more friendly to you. So what are the terms of the lease going to be? Is what you're getting fair price? What is the risk that you're going to be taking on as you kind of move into this lease? And how is all that going to work? So it, it's really, really important that you get get in with a lawyer and you're not going to pay nearly as much as you thought, depending on where you're going. And if you're not sure, ask your community if anybody's got a good line on a lawyer and, uh, and they'll help you out. A good one would... Um, would not bleed you dry. And if you need a little bit of help and and you kind of need it pro bono and it's nothing super crazy, then you need to go to the CrossFit Legal Action Group. And again, go back to the um, podcast I did with Jeff Westmoreland. It'll be super beneficial for you. And uh, there's a lot of nuggets in there. Um, And then lastly, you don't want to have to kind of willy-nilly find a a lawyer or find one in a pinch in the event that you get into some sort of litigation. Um, That is a bad spot to be. 
uh, I am currently in a two-year lawsuit uh, with a landlord. And it's, it's, I don't know how much it's going to end up costing me, but let's just all assume that it's too much. And it's probably something I could have avoided had I gotten involved with a lawyer to begin with. And there was multiple facets to, to why that went down. Um, and I'll probably elaborate on that at some other time. It's not that I can't talk about it. It's just not what this podcast is about. But um, probably would have saved me substantial amount of time, stress, and money, and maybe even avoided the whole thing altogether. So, um, yeah, number one, get a lawyer. That's a big one. Number two, kind of in line with getting a lawyer, get an accountant. And even if you are an accountant, you should get an accountant. Um, the Again, go back and listen to the podcast I've done with John Briggs from Insight Tax. Having somebody who's a third party who's going to keep you accountable is super important. Now, here, I'll give you again, and I'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff I've talked about with John Briggs, is you know having a good accountant does your books every month, and you don't have to ask your accountant for anything. They're going to send you reports. They're going to send you P&L. They're going to send you balance sheets. They're going to send you comparative balance sheets. Um, you know, they're going to send you quarterly reports, all of that stuff. And they're, they're going to send you a transaction list and be like, what the hell is this charged for? That's what a good accountant does. You know, on the high end, I would say you probably pay 300 bucks for a good accountant who does their job. Um, here's how you know if you don't have a good accountant. If you're like, hey, can you send me last month's P&L? Let's just say it's, what am I, I'm, I'm recording this on July 1st, 2020. And um, let's just say it was the 10th. And they need weeks to get me June's books. They're not doing their job. So you need an accountant, um, preferably somebody, I, this is my personal preference, um, but feel free to find somebody else who's a profit first accountant. Again, insight tax, you know, John Briggs wrote, um, profit first for micro gems. Um, it's super important because it's going to teach you that concept of how to operate your business to make it financially secure so that you can create something that's stable so that you can have full-time employees. You can go on vacation. You could actually pay your mortgage with these things and you could make the business serve you, which is super important because if the business serves you financially and your team, then you will probably provide a better product and service for your members. You know, you don't have to be this benevolent creature and give everything away and having an accountant, um, will help you do that. Now, I've know any number of scenarios where somebody has a friend or a spouse who's an accountant. I recommend against it almost always. The money that you will save or the money that you will spend rather is going to be worth having somebody that works for you in that scenario. Whether you can do your books or not yourself is not the point. The point is that you should not be doing it because you're a business owner. So you should be running your business, not doing your books every month. Now, you're like, hey, well, I could do it. And I could save 275 bucks. How much time do you spend doing your books? And then how much time could you be doing something like sales or developing your staff? And I would tell you there is return on that. And there is not a ton of return on doing your books. And the likelihood of somebody having to correct your books is pretty high, at which point you're going to pay for that. And now it's a double loss. So get an account, reach out for one. Again, we always recommend John Briggs at Insight Tax. Uh, you know, we've had him on the podcast. We've had Michael McCallowitz on the podcast who wrote Profit First. Uh, as well as uh, what we did a recent podcast with him on Fix This Next, and it has a lot to do with it. All his books kind of build on each other, which are super cool. Um, but that's number two. You should get an account. It's 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 going to save you a lot of stress, and it's going to force you to learn the intricacies of your business, and it's going to force you to understand your business from a from a nuts and bolts standpoint financially. Like, where is the money going? You know, again, if you are not 
regularly going through and having somebody ask you about these different charges or doing an analysis line by line and saying, I don't need that. I don't need this. Um, you should be, that's how you create a profitable business. And, you know, that's the second tier of, of, you know, Michael Michalowicz's hierarchy of her businesses, you know, the basis sales and then the, um, the, uh, the second thing on top of that is the, the profitability, which gives you that wiggle room in times like right now, COVID, where people, you know, have ran no profit margin. Um, and it just, the other thing about like having an accountant and, and helping you to run a profit margin, and even if you're not doing massive sales, is it gives you the ability to make mistakes. You can breathe if you're running a healthy business. And the only way to know if you're running a healthy business is to have a good accountant. I would equate this to having... Um, for somebody, the difference between somebody who keeps a pretty steady logbook and somebody who doesn't, right? So like if I'm an athlete who keeps all my stuff in Wattify, think as Wattify as the accountant. The Wattify houses all of my stats and I can go through and I can look through them and I can analyze them. I can see what I'm doing well and what I'm doing not because it houses all my information. So, you know, whether it's Wattify or push press or beyond the whiteboard, doesn't matter. But you guys probably get the point of what I'm talking about. But like you need to get... An accountant, if you can't afford one, figure out how to do that. Make two more sales this next month, and that, that money now goes to the accountant every month. So sell your way in to be able to pay for some of these things. That's going to be a monthly recurring cost. The lawyer shouldn't be. You shouldn't need a, um, a lawyer on retainer or anything like that. Send them what you need when you need it and pay for it there. But I would say a safe bet on the lawyer is probably something to the tune of like anywhere between $1,500 to $3,000 a year. Just set that aside for a lawyer, 250 bucks a month on the high end. So, and I think you'd be fine. Now, going down below that, uh, number three is going to be pricing. And I know, I know of almost no gyms that have not made this mistake with the exception of a couple that have started with a couple of these kind of consulting firms, whether it's Two Brain or, you know, Gem Breakthrough or um, some of these other ones with pricing in mind. Uh, so typically what happens is I set my price based on what everybody else is doing. And I don't set my price based on what I want my coaches to make, what I want to make, what I want my profit margin to be. Um, and this is a conversation I had literally yesterday with a gym owner. And we've all heard the statement you know, people are scared to charge what they're worth. And I would disagree a little bit. And I would disagree for this reason. I think the truth, and this is hard and it's probably going to get a lot of people butthurt, but I think it's true, is that most people are afraid because they know they're not worth what they charge. And that's a lot to chew on there for a second. You know, it's 150 bucks. Like, I'm worth 150 bucks. The reality is, like, if I walk in any number of gyms, they're not, you know, and, and this is even if you break it down by class, which is pretty cheap, and they, let's just say it's $9 a class. What they're providing there is not worth $9 a class, and that is going to sound insulting to a lot of people, and I'm not trying to insult anybody. What I am trying to get people to do is to really evaluate, like, what value are you actually providing? Um, so there's two facets to that. A, there's the actual black and white of hey, what should I charge in order to actually be able to make money? Like, how do I cover my nut for the month as far as all my expenses and then have a profit margin and be able to pay myself? So whether it's gross profit or net mar uh, net profit, I need to factor that in. And that's what Profit First is about. And pricing gets factored into that. You know, what's, the, what's a reasonable number 
of members that I need to have at X price point. And, and here's a mistake that I tell you a lot of gyms make. They're like, well, if I have 100 members at this much, and right off the bat, I would tell you that's way too many members. You're not going to get that for a while. So your price point should be based off something probably a little bit more realistic, something lower, something that you could get to very quickly so that you can get out from underneath debt or uh, get ahead way sooner. So it should be that way. You're going to be profitable way sooner. You can start to factor in paying staff or paying a full-time employee way sooner. Um, And pricing should be factored into that. So figure out what you should be charging people based on what your expenses are and what you want to happen. Like those two things, not just what your expenses are, but like what you want to happen after you pay those expenses. What do I want to be able to pay coaches? What do I want a profit margin? How much do I want to make? All of those things. Do I want to buy the building and put that in their five-year plan? You know, that price should be built into that. Um, You know, in addition to other things about like regularly increasing the price or charging an equipment fee, like all these things you should think about beforehand and map them all out if you're going to start a business because that way you don't have to do everything backwards and make all the mistakes and be broke because if you you know, don't have an account and you're not tracking your fund and you didn't price it out right, you're going to be trapped under the shroud of stress that goes with owning a business and you're going to make poor decisions in the short term because you're not going to be able to think long term in order to give your business air so that it can breathe and give yourself air that you can breathe Um, because most of people that own CrossFit gyms, quite frankly, you know, like whether they're trying to be wealthy or not, like I think everybody should be trying to build wealth and wealth is whatever you define it to be. Um, but you make better decisions when you're not stressed about money. When you get desperate is when you make poor decisions, when you don't fire that client, um, that should just go away and make your whole gym environment better or you don't. Or you can refund somebody because it's just the right fucking thing to do because you're not worried about the 170 bucks or whatever it's going to be. Those are the things that you can do if you price things correctly out of the gate. And I'm talking about personal training. I'm talking about group classes. I'm talking about nutrition. I'm talking about, you know, things like how are you bringing people in there? You know, you can factor all that stuff in, but you should really really, really think about putting a lot of thought into your pricing, uh, but also think about how am I going to scale up my pricing? Because there is no scenario in which your pricing stays the same forever. It's just not a real thing. So you can't go too high because it's probably not worth that much, but you also don't want to bottom yourself out because you'd be broke. But then at the same time, I'm going to go somewhere in the middle that matches what I need to make, and but it has to give me somewhere to go that I can grow into at a reasonable rate so that I'm not raking people over the coals. And the pricing thing about how to raise prices, that's a whole rabbit hole that you could get into. But it's, um, you know, put some thought into that. And even once, even if you have on the front end, you should reevaluate it every year. You know, if the, if the value of your service goes up, then the cost should go up. And if people aren't willing to pay it, then probably the value was not there. So then ask yourself why. So number three, pricing. Take that into account. Figure out what you want to do. Uh, and I've gotten pricing wrong, like, pfft virtually every time. Like it's really, really hard because you talk yourself out of it. You feel like you're not worth it. You have imposter syndrome, all of these things. So you really, really should put some thought into that and get an outside perspective on that. Like what is it worth? You know, some people think that personal training should be worth 40 bucks. Some people think it should be worth 200 bucks an hour. Right. Um, and, and you know, be very weary of projecting your own feelings and thoughts about money onto your customers. Uh, once you can shed yourself of that, now you can really get to the nuts and bolts of like, hey, how am I going to operate a business?
Um, but, you know, with that, if you're going to charge a lot of money, you fucking better be worth a lot of money. That's that's a b- big pet peeve of mine. You cannot just raise prices and charge a lot of money if you are not good at what you do. That's just not how it works. You're going to shoot yourself in the foot, give you a number of examples that would not that, that are not good with regard to that. Be like, I'm just going to raise prices. Yeah, but you suck. And that is not how it works. If you're going to raise prices, you need to be worth it or you need to show value or you need to show value on the front end. Um, so a real easy tactic there if you want it is if I'm going to raise prices in six months, there better be a bunch of visual, tangible value adds around the space that would suggest the prices are going up. Uh, whatever it was two years ago when we raised prices, like I had dozens of people come to me and they're like, I'm pretty sure prices are going up pretty soon uh, because of everything that we were doing in the gym. I mean, we were renovating everything, buying new equipment, all this stuff. I said, yeah, they are. And they said, okay, cool. Not one person bitched about it because I had done all the work on the front end. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about communicating a little bit later, but s- the pricing is big. So that's number three. So one lawyer, two accountant, three pricing. Number four, sales. Um, now, sales is not what you think it is. Um, sales is providing people what it is that they came for you for. Now, CrossFit gyms are particularly unique for this instance is that very, very rarely does somebody walk into a CrossFit gym accidentally. So most people have no concept of an actual cold sale, which is great. So you're at a massive advantage with regard to that. You don't have to do cold sales. Um, What you do have to figure out is how to get people from that opening conversation to the close of the sale. And uh, there's a lot of different books on this, The Way of the Wolf. Um, just like that, that's a good one if you just kind of want to understand the psyche of sales. I mean, that guy's kind of a sleazeball, I think, but it, it, it's still good information. Um, the the point with sales is you are providing people with something that they came there for. You didn't like cold call these people and try to sell them some shit they weren't looking for. They have a problem. You have a solution. What you need to do is understand that you are the expert and that you should recommend what they should do. And this is a problem that most people struggle with, and it kind of goes back to the pricing, is that there's a there's a psychological issue there with people who are not, they don't feel comfortable in their skill set, they have an issue with money themselves personally, and therefore those two blockages basically make them incapable of selling the way that they should be able to. You know, if somebody comes into your gym and they are 50, 60 pounds overweight and they've talked to you about joint pain and and stuff like that and they're giving you a list of um, reasons that they just kind of want to get their life together, you should have no problem saying you should be in personal training. That's going to be four times a week and that's going to cost you something to the tune of a thousand bucks. But I'm going to save your life. If you're confident in your training, you know you have a good service to offer them and you know you can help them. It's your duty. You have an obligation to help them. You should do that, okay? So, and I'm not talking about running fucking ads, okay? So I'm not talking about the gym launches of the world, which, quite frankly, is like, in my opinion, going to be fire festival of fitness, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about running six-week challenges. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about one-on-one. Somebody comes in with them, and your job is to give them what they came in for, which is supposed to give them a solution to their problem, and it should be priced out accordingly going back to pricing before that if you have a solution which you do then you should be able to 
give that to them. You remember, one of the things that even I've had issues in the past is understanding that in that exchange, when somebody's sitting across from you, I am the expert. You, if you're listening to this, your coach or a gym owner, you are the expert. They're not coming in there for you to kind of maybe tell them what you think they might be able to do. You should tell them exactly what they need to do. No questions asked. And you should be able to say that confidently. The better you get at that, you're going to see that the more likely people are to probably not give you an objection at all. Because if they walked in your door, the likelihood of them buying is already incredibly high. You just have to tell them that you have a very specific solution to their problem. And if you don't, don't sell them that shit. Don't sell people shit they don't need. Right? But if they come into you and they're looking for, you know, personalized programming or they want weight loss, be like, sell them that because that's what they came there for. And then deliver. Going back to pricing, like you better be worth it. If you're going to sell some people something, you better deliver. That's how you get raving fans. You deliver on what it is. And if you can't deliver, don't sell it. Figure out what your niche is and move away from that thing you're trying to sell. But if you sell some half-assed nutri- nutrition program, or you sell some shitty jumpstart program, or you sell some shitty six-week challenge, and it's not going to get results and it's just designed for turnover and high volume, it's not going to work for you. Don't do that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about working with people in a one-on-one and giving them what they want. Um, and sales is super important. And in going back to you know, the, the kind of the three, the three modalities of business where we have operations and we have marketing sales falls under that piece, uh, of marketing, right? Marketing sales, they're, they're one and the same cause they overlap, uh, and they have a, you know, just a ton of, they're somewhat, uh, dependent of each other. You need to understand how to do this. And if you don't know how to do it or you don't feel comfortable with it, you need to do everything within your power to either hire for that or you need to figure out how to become better at it. Because if you are not good at the previous three, you probably don't have enough money to hire for it, which means you need to get better at it. And then then you can hire for it. You know, you know, like well, how much how much membership could you sell in one month? And again, you're not looking for a ton of turnover just to bring people in the door. Um, because if you don't have good retention things in place, then the amount of sales you do in one month isn't going to matter. But you do need to understand that sales is the bottom of that because sales is the oxygen for your business. If you can't do sales, you don't have a business. You're running a nonprofit that's not a 501c3 or any of those things. You're just running a really shitty business, so you got to have sales. Um, so that's number four. Number five, onboarding process you should really consider what somebody's experience is when they come into your gym. And I mean, I've done it every different way. I'm not saying I know how to do this, but I'm saying I've largely always gotten it wrong because I never put enough thought into what that looks and feels like from the customer perspective. What does it look like when they shoot you an email? What does it look like if they call the business, if they text you, if they hit a landing page, and then what does that first phone call look like? What is their experience when they enter the gym the first time? You know, is the, you know, is the coach sitting behind the computer eating or are they there ready for them, waiting for them? And they greet them by name because Johnny was the person who scheduled an appointment. So rather than asking them what their name is, you just greet them by their fucking name because that's who's coming in the door. Nobody else is coming in the door at 3.30 that day. It was Johnny because he had an appointment with you. So that whole process, that onboarding process, like do you give them a tour of the building? Like do you show them that? Do you kind of walk them through what it is that makes your facility special? Do you sit them down and do a consult and figure out like why they're there? Do you book those appointments and do one-on-one with them? But there should be some sort of process that is an experience for them. It's not 
you're not teaching them the nine foundational movements. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Like nobody cares. They're not going to remember it anyway. I've, never, I've coached zero people in 10 years that I've taught any of that stuff that remembers after any number of sessions. They don't know. They don't care. That's not what they're there for. They either got a good experience or they didn't. So figure out what you want that onboarding process. Like what do you want them to remember about it? What do you want them to get during the process? Do they get a t-shirt? Do they get a shaker bottle? Do they get some sort of document or pamphlet that goes with it? You know, do you do it in groups? Do you do it one-on-one? -on -one? Like how all of that, but really, really put a lot of thought into what that onboarding process looks like because the better and more well-packaged that is and the smoother it is and the more pain-free it is and the more enjoyable it is, the higher the likelihood of them staying becomes because they loved it. It was amazing. And it was probably, in my personal experience, drastically fucking different than anything they would have gotten anywhere else, which immediately puts you in a different category. And by the way, if you do all of this well, the assumption is that they're going to pay more money. Right? If you ever had really, really good customer service, the assumption is just that I'm paying more money. I'm not going to be like, oh, I, don't, I got caught off guard by that. No, no. The assumption that I was paying 500 bucks for this meal or whatever because it was five courses and there was a major D and they did a bunch of other like, it's. I'm not shocked when I get that bill. Now, if I go to McDonald's and the food's cold and the service was shitty, yeah, I'm going to be a little grumpy if I get a $30 bill on that because that was a $5 value. So again, think about that. Some of your issues with pricing and sales can be solved, again, by being good at what you do and providing a good service. And a lot of that has to do with your onboarding process. Everything from what your website looks like to how you answer the phone, all of those things. Really iron that out. What would that look like start to finish from the second they hit your website to the point where like, hey, we're handing you off and you're going into group classes, you know, whether that be after three sessions or after it be two months after personal training or whatever, but you should have all of it. There should be no guess. There should be no guesses there. Everything should be intentional. What happens when you're walking through the gym and you see another coach and you introduce them? Ever think about that? That should be rehearsed. Newsflash. You know that's going to happen. Why would you not talk to your staff about how that interaction is going to happen? That's stupid. You should have complete control of every interaction that goes on in there because you already know how they're going to happen. Same way you would in a class for your lesson plan. You're going to take your onboarding process and you're going to make a whatever, however long a lesson plan that is. And for every possible interaction, you're going to have an answer for that. When you introduce them to the coach, the coach is going to say something like, hey, my name is so-and-so. Uh, my name's Fern. And they're like, hey, you know, Fern was, you know, in the Navy. And they're like, oh, cool. I was in the Navy too. You know, he, you know, Cassie's going to take really good care because he's the best coach we got. And they're like, that sets a different precedent than like you just walking through. They don't know anybody. You didn't introduce them to anybody. And there was no predetermined interaction there. And it doesn't have to be fake. It just needs to be genuine, right? If it's rehearsed, but it's still genuine, it's still genuine right? It doesn't, it's not fake, but it does need to be rehearsed. It's like, it's like the level ones that we give every weekend. Those are rehearsed, my friends. If you don't know that, you've lost your mind, but they're also incredibly genuine. They can, those two things can exist together. And quite frankly, that's when it becomes really, really good. Genuine delivery of something com combined with rehearsing it so that you actually get it right and you say the right words at the right time. 
right? That's how you give people an experience. And that's how the onboarding process becomes incredibly pleasant. And you can break all those walls down of all the things that they're already scared of before they even start. So really, really put some time into that and really put some thought into like, what would the most awesome onboarding process look like start to finish? Okay, so really think about your onboarding process. Most people just like, we'll just let people into the class. And I'm also not naive to the fact that this has multiple evolutions and sometimes a level of practicality has to be applied to where you just have to do what you have to do so that I can run my business. But you should still have this dialed in, right? So if your excuse is, well, I can't do that, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is that's the end goal and I'm working my way towards that. It also gives me something to shoot for. The second that I can start implementing that onboarding process, it's already been ironed out and it's been redrawn 48 times. But I just couldn't facilitate it before because of time or money or manning or resources. It doesn't matter. So you have to think about that beforehand. Put it in place. This is for all these things. Put them in place and think about them even if you can't execute them yet. Because now they're going to be on your radar and you're going to start working through all of these. Even if you're doing it on the side, you're like, ah, not, I can't do it yet, but I'm going to work through it. So same thing with your onboarding process. And it will evolve over time. You'll add things. You'll remove things. You'll iron them out. You'll put them in different orders. Like it, The point is that you're constantly improving it just like you would with your coaching all right number six interns this is a big kind of deep rabbit hole um but here's what i would tell you i've only fired two coaches in 10 years and it just so happens now this just could just be coincidence but it just so happens that those two people skipped the intern process so that's my fault right and i'm not saying that this is Nobody can hire perfectly. Anybody who says they have the perfect hiring process and they're never going to get wrong is completely full of shit. So this could be just complete coincidence. But that is my current experience is that the two people that forewent the scrubbing process or the vetting process were the two people that I fired over 10 years. Only two. Everybody else left or moved on to bigger and better things. Um, but those are the two people oh, that I had to let go was the people that I let skip the process. Now, the flip side of that is, I think as you evolve, um, or even from the get-go, you should outline two different processes for an intern, right? So I have an intern who knows nothing. That's one process. Generally, that's where most people lie. They're starting. They're a member at the gym, and they want to coach, and I have to get them up to speed and give them a skill set that they do not possess at the time. That's going to take time. So that looks like, I don't know, anything between. I've seen everything from, you know, a month to 12 months and everything in between and it doesn't matter a lot of that is going to depend on like what you think you're capable of but you should have that outlined and you should revamp it as frequently as necessary in order to create a better product on the back end the other version of that should be something that looks like somebody who's experienced and somebody who i need to get up to speed way faster or i might need to do a higher uh a little bit uh more um expeditiously if you will because I'm growing at a rate and I need more hours and all that stuff and at that point a you should be prepared to pay somebody more you're not going to pay that person you know new uh new coach money like pay them fucking more money but you should also have some degree of vetting uh, that goes in there meaning an interview process some sort of trial period all that stuff if it's a test if it's a group interview there's a lot of things that you can do here but the end goal is the same for both of these. Whether they're new or whether they're experienced, they need to fit into your culture and into your team, number one. And actually the only thing that matters. Everything else can be taught. 
you know, their coaching, their administrative skills, like all of those things can be worked around and built in for and systemize and optimize and all of those things. What I can't teach you how to do is not be an asshole. That is what your intern process or your hiring process is for. And again, you will get this wrong. There is no scenario in which you don't you don't mess this up at some point. So don't feel bad about it. I am not aware of any business that has never fired anybody. It's just not a thing. So don't feel bad about it. Just know that you probably didn't do some due diligence on the front end. And some people are going to slip through the cracks. You know, we, we talk about on seminar staff all the time is that when we had, when we see interns, like that's probably the best I'm ever going to see them. So if they suck during the intern process, they're probably going to be really awful once they're hired and let their guard down. So take that into consideration, you know, get the members feedback, get the team's feedback, because those are the people they really have to deal with. Those are the people they should be selling themselves to, not you. You know, if they're, you know, if they're shunning other coaches because they think they're better and they're kissing your ass, that's probably not the person you want to hire. That's not going to mesh with the team. They're going to cause you a lot of problems. Um, you know, and then outside of that, this is probably just a life advice. Just beware of people that just bring a lot of drama baggage with them. Just don't bring them in the door. I'll, I'll tell you guys a story about what I described, the proverbial poop cannon. Um, you just don't want people who just have these cannons full of their own life's shit, and they just fire them up in the air, and then that shit comes down on everybody else. That's the poop cannon. Avoid those people at all costs. Um, that's just not something you want to get into. So if, if, if drama tends to follow people around, Drama tends to follow people around. So maybe not the best hire, regardless of what their skill set is. At some point, that drama is not worth whatever the skill set they have. Um, but iron out that intern process and really, really resist the urge to break from it, whatever it is that you design. You can retool it. You can do all of those things. Um, but if you do forego it, you need to figure out how to make it up in the back end. Um, because it can create resentment within the team of somebody. If everybody's going through it and then you'd let somebody skip the process, unless they come to the table with just a significant resume and everybody's just like, okay, cool. But again, that person, if I've hired for personality and team culture, they will get along just fine. They'll understand where they sit in the hierarchy and they'll get along. That's what you're hiring for, though, in that intern or slash interview process is you're hiring for personality to make sure that they fit the culture. So that's number six. Um, number seven, team comms. And this is one that I think I get better at every year, but I still blow it probably once a quarter, if not twice a year. Um, you need, this is the, actually the same. You could say team slash gym communication. That's what I'm talking about. There is no scenario in which I communicate too much to my staff and my members. Now, before I dive into this, what I'm not talking about is like sending out a bunch of fucking salesy stuff. Like we have protein for sale. Like that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about communicating clearly, regularly, and timely on things that are important to people. And in the gym, there's no shortage of that stuff going on. You need to get in some sort of like very regular pattern of communicating with people so that you teach them where to go and where to look for information so that they are always in the know. So I'll give you an example. We would, we don't host seminar. Well, we're not hosting any seminars right now because of COVID. Um, but the, a couple years ago we were hosting pretty regularly, we probably hosted six to eight seminars a year here at the gym. And I would always base our communication 
uh, effectiveness on how many people showed up to the gym that were members for Saturday class on the day of a seminar. And if one person showed up, we failed. Why? Because we didn't figure out how to communicate to them that the gym would be closed. So when you're communicating, there's certain things that need to be communicated on every platform that you have. If there's a schedule change, that needs to go on Facebook, on Instagram, on email, on text, and needs to be posted somewhere visually in the gym. All of those need to be checked. If you miss one of those, that person is going to show up because there's always one person who doesn't check any of those other things and they're going to miss it. And we failed them. And again, I've created a pain point for the members. Okay, so a couple things that we do, feel free to, to, to steal them. But these things happen every single, um, like on this time period. So one, we send out a weekly email every week. We send it out on Sunday nights. And it's got like a pretty standard template in there. Schedule changes, any events that are going on. If there's anything that needs to be highlighted, we put it in there. Typically, we don't put it in there unless it has value. Uh, and this is, if when you're communicating, it has to have value. And this goes back to a video I did on Jerk Block Talk about like social media and provide value. You have to be giving. Like you're not, there is a time for selling, um, but you have to give a lot before you go and ask somebody to buy something. But giving valuable information. Um, it, it Was there a member that was on the podcast? Uh, put that in there. Is there a schedule change? Is there a change to childcare hours? Or is there something, an event coming up in Murph? Are we doing it this weekend? Or is there uh, a workshop? Or uh, is there a seminar they should be showing up for? Like you have, there, you need to communicate these really far in advance. Well, I'll tell you for if there's an event four to six weeks in advance, every week they should have gotten notified at least four times before that thing goes down. Four times on multiple platforms. So you're talking about something, let's just say it's four times the four platforms, 16 notifications. It should be no secret that this thing is happening. All right? So you have to communicate with them all the time, right? As long as people are in the know about things that are going on, they have no gripes for the most part and give them an outlet to come to you. Same thing when you're talking about doing price changes or anything like that or doing something that changes in the gym. You're going to move the damn pull-up rigged or not even the pull-up nothing even that major you're going to move the barbells six feet to the left send out a notification to the gym because somebody's going to lose their mind because you didn't tell them that you were moving the damn barbells okay people get weird about that stuff so you have to communicate often and put it on a periodic timetable so that they know when to look for that information and the same thing for your team so we send out a weekly email to the members and we communicate with them things that are important and then I send a weekly email to the staff that has some of that stuff that we send to the members but things that are more pertinent to the staff things that are going on things that we're focusing on issues that are happening um, things that we need to be aware of stuff like that um, and that goes out every Sunday every Sunday like clockwork in addition to that we have a staff meeting every month it goes down every single month same day set for life so you have to get into a regular battle rhythm that we call it in the military as far as communication. And don't deviate from it. Don't skip it. It's better to send it out with less information than not send it out at all. You got to send it out. Um, one other thing that I do, and this is not for everybody because not everybody likes to do this, is um, for the most part I've been really consistent with it, but although I've fallen off a little bit, is I send a weekly email on Wednesday that's just like life lessons, right? And I've that just allows me to connect with the members on a personal level. So, but that's for me. I like to write what I do now. So I'll share stories, lessons learned, things that have happened, stuff that's going on. Um, but all of it in what I've found over the years, it's cathartic for me, but 
it adds value to them on a different level than there's just stuff going on. It's personal now. You know, they have an, a, a personal attachment to the gym. But you need to regularly communicate with everybody about things that are going on so that you're not this gym that's out of sight, out of mind. Okay. I'm not talking about automated emails about like, you just got billed today. Like those should come as well. But I'm talking about like information should be passed on a very, very regular schedule. Um, this will clear up a lot of issues that you have uh, in ways that you can't even imagine yet. So communicate, communicate often. Um, and that was actually uh, seven and eight. So team comms and member comms, right? You just have to really, really, really communicate well. Uh, and this is a skill, by the way. Uh, one of the things that I've learned uh, when I left the military is like just vision casting. Like if you're going to make big sweeping changes, like you need to figure out how to communicate that and you need to communicate that very, very early. Um, an example would be price changes. If you're going to change prices, probably let everybody know a minimum of 90 days in advance. Sometimes we let people know a year in advance, but a minimum 90 days because they need a chance to process it. And there's some people that need a chance to really process it to figure out what they're going to do. But also giving them a heads up so that you can show value on the front. And this also keeps you accountable. It doesn't catch people off guard. Okay. And then you would every, you know, 90 days. So they're going to get whatever. It's going to be three months out, two months out, one month out, two weeks out, one week out. And then it's going to happen. So there's no shock there. But what this does is it gives people time to address you about what their concerns are about whatever that change might be because they might have a valid change that could actually add value to whatever the changes that you're going to make. Same thing with the team. Like you got to communicate. Um, one thing we're trying to get back to is, you know, we obviously do the, the weekly staff meetings, but we're going to go um, uh, a, a yearly retreat is probably in order for most gyms. If you got a pretty tight team or even a big team, you should get everybody off-site to do something that is just for the team and communicate there, not in the workspace and communicate. What are people happy with? What are they unhappy with? What ideas do they have? What have they heard? Stuff like that. You have to learn to communicate both to the team and to the members. And those are different, um, but they're both equally important. Um, number nine, social media really got to learn how to use social media. This is an important one. Again, I did a jerk block talk on this years ago and the social media should be sending a very consistent, clear message about what it is that you do, what problem you solve and how you solve it. Right. So like whatever that's going to be for you, whatever your niche is, you know, and who those people are. I think it's Seth Godin is like people like us do things like this. I think it's Seth Godin. You should be communicating that. Like, who are those people? They're you and your staff and your members. Those are the people. And they do stuff like this, whether it's personal training or nutrition coaching or group classes or weightlifting or kids or whatever. Everything that comes out on your social media channels should communicate people like us do things like this and it should add value. Now, there's a lot of different flavors of that. And if you want to dive into that, there's a big, dark rabbit hole, but um, you should definitely dive into that because you can do it a lot of different ways. <clears throat> but it basically comes in three flavors in my experience, right? It either comes in um, education, uh, sales, or humor. And you can blend all three of those together as well. Um, but, you know, or you could, in education, that could be either like technical education or like information about the gym, but those would fall in the same bucket. So education. Um, humor and sales and sales is going to be the least of the three 
right? It probably occupied maybe 10 to 15% of your social media posts. Everything else should be, um, you know, education, information, and, and humor-based or highlight, right? So the, the education is like, the education slash information has multiple facets within it, which is, you know, things like member highlights, podcasts, you know, people that are hitting certain benchmarks, meaning the attendance or uh, a goal that they hit or something like that. But it could also be about um, coaching. It could be movement videos. It could be cooking videos. It could be recipes. It could be all of that stuff. But the big takeaway there is that I should be providing value on social media and not stealing people's time. And I've talked about this at length. One of the things that drives me nuts is a panning video of a class with no context. And even if it had context in the long form, it would still be bullshit. It's the shitty video that doesn't really say or mean anything. You should tee up all of those. Like your your social media should all be, and it's hard. I'll be honest with you. Like the social media is a constantly evolving thing, but it should all be planned out. It should all have a very specific intention. It should convey a message and it should be consistent as far as like photos, font, colors, templates, all those things. So you're going to really need to put some thought into that. Um, so start with one a day. You know, I think I think Stu Brower is just like a 90-day ch- or 90 challenge or something like that. I don't remember what it was, but what the fuck, Jim, talk. There's a lot of things I disagree with Stu on, but there's a lot of things I agree with Stu on. Uh, and one of them happens to be with the use of social media because um, most people do it really, really poorly. Uh, CrossFit Rife included in many, many ways over the years. We've done it very, very poorly, and we're revamping it right now because I want to put it – I want it to be more organized um, because if you do this stuff on the fly – uh, and it's not really structured so that it's easy and somebody can just, you know, follow the yellow brick road to making sure that it happens. <clears throat> that is better than having, you know, one or two good posts that are super random and super lucky over time. But you need to figure out how to use social media. And I mean all forms of social media. I mean live social media. I mean pictures, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, all of them. You need to learn them because they all have overlap and they'll all give you more exposure and they will, you will learn things about them and then learning how to engage on social media as well. So those are the first nine. And then the last one, um, this one's going to sound a little weird, but it is me, right? Not thinking about me or thinking about you, right? So if you're thinking about how is this serve me? And for a lot of people, this one's really sticky. This is, just a, this is where people got like weird issues, you know, probably unpack back to their youth. Um, but this one is important. And I think fundamentally, if you can figure out how to figure out and get comfortable with doing things and creating something that provides you value, you will be probably successful in anything that you do. Um, and I think it's super important. So everything that was outlined prior to that should have a straight line directed towards that, right? So the previous nine should have straight lines that are directed at you because that is what it's for. Because if you are really in this for the right reasons, creating something that allows you to be successful um, will only enhance your desire to give. I don't know who it was. It might have been Gary Vee, but he's like, you know, money and fame don't change you. They expose you. So if you're already giving and you're already genuine, you know, becoming wealthy and having more time will only make you more of that. If you're an asshole and you're doing it just for the money, well, getting money and fame will just make you a bigger asshole. Um, 
So figure out what it is that you want for out of this, because now this becomes a pretty fun game. You know, the, the, the game of business can become fun, but it's fun if it's rewarding, you know, like, you know, I, I know Jay likes to make fun of me, but like I played a lot of sports growing up and I played them to win. Most people, nobody plays sports not to win. That's just kind of ridiculous. You're playing to win. Now, what does win mean? You have to define that. You have to figure out what win means for you. What does that look like? What does it feel like? What is the end state? How much money does it look like? What kind of lifestyle do you want? What kind of coaching staff do you want to have? What kind of facility do you want to have? And then everything is based, is based on you. And it's not selfish. Because if you are doing that and you're providing a great experience, it's going to be awesome for other people. It's going to be amazing. And that's a weird one because it seems selfish. Um, and, and this is something that I've personally learned over the years. To be selfless, you need to have a certain degree of selfishness, meaning you need to cut out time for yourself. You can't coach classes. You can't, you can't coach all the classes. You can't do all the things. You need to let other people make mistakes because that's what's best for you. Um, something else that I've heard is like letting somebody else operate at a level of eight is better than you operating at a level of 10 because it frees you up to do other things. Now, there's some back and forth on there when you can do this a little bit too soon. But I do think it's worth noting that all of these things should be done um, so that they simultaneously serve you and your members because that is how you create absolute success. It should be a win-win-win. Um, but most of us do this because we're passionate about it. We get into it. And we just want to help people. And then we become the martyr. And we do everything for everybody else. And then we burn ourselves to the ground and there's nothing left and in that act of martyrdom we've simultaneously uh, robbed people of something that they need and we all know the state of chronic disease and people that have mental health issues and all those things so you need to take care of yourself first you need to take care of yourself financially you need to take care of yourself from a health standpoint you need to take care of yourself spiritually like all those things you need to do that and so you needs to be a priority whatever that means um, so that if that means that you need to shut down open gym on Sunday, then it is what it is, right? You don't need to be open 365 days a year. You'll be fine. Take the day off. So that is currently top 10 mistakes, and I can go into the weeds on a lot of those, but um, again, it's not all encompassing, and all of those, I could probably do an hour podcast on each one of them, uh, but I hope this helps. I've been wanting to do this for a while, um, and I know Jay likes to say that he wrote a, he wrote a book. He's written a couple books, but I'm also going to write a book. It'll definitely be better than his, um, but it'll be it'll be about my experience of, of in the box for ten years, and, um, and a lot of this will get elaborated on in, in much greater detail with more stories and experience. I can give you those, but anyway, I've been wanting to do this for a while. I hope it helps. Um, but to go back through them real quick, just top ten mistakes: get a lawyer. <laughs> Number one, get an accountant. Number two, make sure you think about your pricing. Number three, from the start, and if you didn't do it from the start, fix it and fix it quickly. Uh, number four, sales. Learn how to do sales. Learn what sales actually is. Uh, number five, an onboarding process as far as like what that process looks like when somebody enters your business in your community. Number six, figure out how to manage, vet, and deal with interns, whether it be no experience or whether they have a lot of experience, and this is going to be kind of a higher on the spot. Um, number seven and number eight, number seven is communication with your members. And number eight is communication with your team. Those are super, super important. Communication is key. 
And then number nine, social media should be giving. Learn how to use it. Learn how to be consistent. And the number 10 is you. Take care of yourself. All right, guys. Hope that was useful. See ya. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. If you haven't already, do us a favor. Head over to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback for either Fern or myself, hit us up, besthouroftheirday at gmail.com or send us a DM over on Instagram at besthouroftheirday. Once again, we couldn't do this without the amazing community and you are a part of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting Best Hour of Their Day.